In the second century of the Common Era, if you had an issue with the weather, you brought the rabbi. Now, the past July, it rained little more than half an inch, but no one made an appointment with me for spiritual intervention, and I am not responsible for what's happening today, folks. In the second century, a drought meant failed crops, hunger, and possible starvation. In our modern world, the drought means dry suburban lawns, failed kitchen gardens, and news articles about all the worried apple farmers. In the second century, there was a drought, and it was serious enough of a spiritual issue that it changed the course of Jewish prayer. The Mishnah teaches that when the drought came, Rebbe Eliezer instituted a cycle of 13 fast days, a spiritual prescription for all Jews in the land of Israel. But rain did not fall. At the end of that last fast day, the congregation began to exit the synagogue, defeated. Rabbi Eliezer thundered, Have you prepared graves for yourself? Admonished, the people broke out into a chorus of wailing, tears falling down their faces onto their clothing, the floor each other, the people drowning in their tears, were shocked out of their lament. Lightning shocked us all. The rains arrived. But the rains were short-lived. Drought came to the land again. The people once again crammed into their synagogue, waiting with bated breath for Rabbi Eliezer to save them once more. Rabbi Eliezer rose before them. He stood at the ark and recited 24 blessings. But nothing happened. His long and serious prayers went totally unanswered. The holy space grew silent as the revered leader returned to his seat among the community. From the silence, another figure arose. It was his student, Rabbi Akiva, who took his turn before that holy ark. With eyes closed and a clear, soft voice, Rabbi Akiva prayed, Avinu Malkini Ainlani Melech Ela'ata. Our Father, our King, we have no king but you. Avinu Malkinu Lamancha Rachem Aleinu. Our Father, our King, for your sake, have mercy on us. Immediately, the rain began, began to fall. History has debated the meaning of his mythology. Was it the simplicity and spontaneity of Rabbi Akiva's prayer? One simple prayer as opposed to 24 intricate, formal ones. Was it Akiva's persistent loyalty to the one God? Was it his appeal for mercy in the face of grave danger? Or perhaps he just got God's name correct. Avinu Malkinu, our father, our king. From this Mishnaic story, this phrase evolved to form a bedrock of high holiday prayer. We begin with this plea. Avinu Malkinu, hear our voices. Avinu Malkinu, we have sinned before you. And we end with the much-loved folk chorus. Avinu Malkinu. Our Father, our King, answer us with grace, for our deeds are wanting. Save us through acts of justice and love. Today, we do not gather in this sanctuary to ward off threats 
caused by drought. But Jewish history and tradition have compelled us to gather on the high holidays, prepared to wrestle with our own mortality, with the anxiety of living with sentience but not foresight. We have no idea what the future has in store. Save us. Pardon us. We will do better. We will live meaningful lives. But where are we directing all of this spiritual energy and existential angst when we pray Avinu Malkinu, our Father, our King? As my teacher, Rabbi Art Green, points out in his recent book, Judaism for the World, the combining of these two titles, the parental with all its loving intimacy, and the royal filled with awesome pomp, tells us a great deal about the sort of piety Judaism seeks to create. Kingship is a metaphor of distance and authority. In his parable, An Imperial Message, Franz Kafka tells the story of an emperor attempting to send a message to a humble subject from his own deathbed. The subject is described as the insignificant shadow towering in the remotest distance before the imperial sun. It's impossible for Kafka's emperor to reach his humble subject in life. He has to resort to reaching him via his dreams. The God King is utterly transcendent. So transcendent, not only is he inaccessible to his subjects, but they are inaccessible to him. They can't reach him, even when he wills it so. Meanwhile, the parent metaphor is the exact opposite, the ultimate definition of intimacy. This is the Tate daddy god of the Hasidic Rebbe. Joy and sorrow bring us closer to our divine parent. This is the Talmud declaring all Yisrael the name Malachim him. Even though God is king, we are God's children. We are the children of royalty. Avinu. We are the children of the imminent personal God. Malkinu. We are the insignificant subjects of an incomprehensibly transcendent force. Avinu. We yearn for true connection, moral purpose, the discovery that our life has meaning. Malkinu. We are in awe of the awesome power of life. We seek to explore the many mysteries of the universe. What a wonderfully paradoxical dyad. Avinu, we are loved. Malkinu, we are insignificant. Dust and ashes. Is there more Jewish of an idea? Rabbi Akiva's second century spontaneous cry still holds so much relevance. But the personified God language leaves many of us, myself included, uneasy. The language of Avinu Malkini, the God who is Father and King, is just so old man in the sky. Fathers can love us or abandon us, support us or judge us. Our fathers all inevitably die. And don't get me started on monarchy. If we are going to idealize and make divine a familiar form of power, we could choose a more democratic and accessible metaphor. Our Torah and prayers are filled with metaphors for God. Contradicting metaphors, mixed metaphors, downright strange and bizarre metaphors. In her essay on the wide array of metaphors in Deuteronomy 32, Rabbi Andrea Weiss of Hebrew Union College directs our attention to such diverse metaphors for God as Father, Eyelid, Eagle, 
nursing mother protective rock. Rabbi Weiss believes that we need multiple metaphors in the Bible and in our own lives because no single comparison can encapsulate all there is to say about God and the complexity of the divine human connection. Literarily, this makes sense. But in practice, I fear that all metaphors have a limited shelf life. They only work for us when they feel culturally relevant. If Rabbi Akiva had called out for mercy from the great eyelid in the sky, it might not have made the canon. If we refer to God with only masculine pronouns or insist on describing a tyrannical king, our religion would not be consistent with our moral values. In Cynthia Ozick's brilliant essay, Metaphor and Memory, she teaches that metaphor relies on what has been experienced before. It transforms the strange into the familiar. But what do we do when once familiar metaphors become strange? What do we do when our God language just makes God all the more distant and anachronistic? And of course, there is the elephant in the room. Many of you have been sitting here. You heard me say the word God. You told yourself that no such thing exists, that it's all just a human story, and then you settled in for a mid-service nap. To you, I say, stick with me. Because you aren't wrong. Everything we have and will say about God is a human story. We are incapable of moving beyond the limitations of our brains and our language. If God really is something beyond what we are and what we know, then sure, agnosticism is reasonable. God is impossible to prove. No one said discovering the secrets of the universe would be easy. And for others among you, you are waiting for me to describe God the way you do use the right analogy, and that is equally impossible. Though I invite you to send me an email or join my theology class and tell me exactly what you believe in. The Jewish people have been blessed with a tradition that has always been theologically flexible and diverse. When Jacob was renamed Yisrael, the God wrestler, and we became the Yisrael, the children of God wrestlers, it was a true nomen omen. Our fate was sealed in the name. There is no one solid Jewish definition of the divine. There are thousands of different ways of conceptualizing God. But we do all seem to agree with Deuteronomy when we claim that God is undoubtedly one. And to intensify this problem, we have to admit that in the 21st century, God has a PR problem. A specific, fundamentalist vision of God is used cross-culturally to justify war, violence, hatred, and most recently, a very specific image of God is being used to control the bodies and lives of every person in this country with a uterus. This is dangerous, and that is not our God. Who is this God that we've been praying to for thousands of years? And why do our metaphors, king, father, mountain, eyelid, always fail? Part of our issue is that our stories transform God into a being, with a personality, a perspective, things to say, someone who can make mistakes. And our personified metaphors fail under scrutiny 
Is it the doting father or the deadbeat dad? The benevolent monarch or the tyrannical despot? What if we start with what we know? Matter is neither created nor destroyed. All life is interconnected. We live in a symbiotic relationship with the trees, the bees, the microscopic bacteria in our bodies. When a person gets sick with a novel disease halfway around the world, we all spend three years in quarantine. As Baruch Spinoza taught almost 400 years ago, the ultimate goal of all living things is to persevere and survive. We survive because we are interconnected. This unified force of life flows through everything and everyone. To me, this is God. A personal force of life flows and animates each of us. And someday when we die, that force will return to God, Abimu. The eternal life force has awesome transcendent powers that permeate space and time, Malkina. And this force is not morally neutral. As we individually persevere, we are filled with an unseen emotional energy that drives us to take care of one another, to understand right from wrong, to recognize personal responsibility. We call this justice and love. And this, too, is God. We teach our children and support our friends, Avinu. We fight for systems that are equitable and join together to imagine a better world, Malkinu. And as, Bradley, as Rabbi Bradley Shabbat Arson teaches in his book, God of Becoming in Relationship, this force of life and love is not static, but always changing. In every moment, all things change. With every breath or decision or blowing of the wind, our world and ourselves are constantly moved, even renewed. This, too, is God. Personal changes, Avinu. Global transformation, Malkinu. God is life. God is love. God is change. Personal, intimate, transcendent, and awesome, Avinu Malkinu. Our understanding of God is just the first step in our spiritual lives. I'm going to say something that's maybe unpopular. In Judaism, there is no such thing as being spiritual but not religious, or spiritual but non-consistent. We move immediately from under our understanding of the world and God towards a system of communal rituals that help draw our attention to the holiness that surrounds us. Henry James once wrote, Be one of those upon whom nothing is lost. We bless our food, we bless our children, we bless the rainbow when we lie down and when we rise up. The Talmud teaches that we should say a hundred blessings every day. It is no coincidence that we refer to practicing Judaism as observing the mitzvot. Jewish ritual is a daily mindfulness practice of living purposefully and observantly in every moment. Jews walk through this world and everything, everything is under control. In her essay, The Riddle of the Ordinary, Cynthia Ozek teaches, the Jew has this in common with the artist. He means nothing to be lost on him. 
He brings all his mind and sense to bear on noticing the ordinary. He is equally alert to image and experience, and nothing that passes before him is taken for granted. Everything is exalted. Everything is exalted. In that quotation, Ozick quite purposefully capitalizes the words ordinary, image, and experience. We don't need to visit God's shrine or temple or mountain. God lives in the ordinary, in every experience, in every observation. But knowing this is not enough. Our rabbinic ancestors gifted us with a detailed playbook to help us navigate life's moments, big and small, through ritual. All too often, Reformed Jews think they are not observant, not really religious. But if you ritually named your baby, bless the challah, light Hanukkah candles, attend the Passover Seder, show up on Yom Kippur, or expect to be buried according to Jewish tradition, you are engaging with powerful observances. And in doing so, you are finding ways to deepen your vision of your life and this amazing world. But like the literal meaning of Avinu Malkini, father, king, some metaphors and translations have not weathered the test of time. What was once comforting is now sometimes strange. What was once familiar can now be felt to be alien. We need new words, new spiritual practices, new ways of celebrating and blessing the ordinary and the extraordinary. At Temple Israel, we have an initiative called the Spiritual Practice Lab. We teach classes and hold retreats and prayer services and holiday celebrations geared towards expanding our prayer lives and allowing us to experimentally explore the many pathways towards nurturing our inner lives. We're here. We're already religious. So let's design a Judaism for the 21st century together. Let's discover the words and practices that allow us to observe this world, celebrate our lives, and connect deeply with God. If Akiva were to stand up on this bima this morning, what would he pray for? Would he pray for an end to violence, a solution to climate change, for peace and love to rule the human heart? And what would he say? What words would he use to get God's attention? Would he say a bini malkenu? Would he say, oh, intimate God, oh, transcendent God of the universe? What would he mean by these words? I'm no rabbi Akira, let's be honest. But here's my offering. God of love. God of life. God of change. Inspire us to open our eyes and our hearts to the wonder and possibility of this world. Help us realize that even when we fail or falter, there is always, always hope. We are surrounded in every moment by community. And as long as we are alive, we have the power to change. May we each realize that we have the opportunity to make this a good year, a sweet year, a year of possibility. And next year, may we return to the same place, surrounded by friends, ready to connect to you. Shabbat Shabbat.